I want to welcome you once again to Providence Road. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And if you are new to Oklahoma in any way, the last few days have given you a great taste of what I call like Oklahoma whiplash weather, right? I mean, it is like beautiful one day and 24 hours later, you better get ready. And uh, we kind of went through a, a fake spring or maybe like spring one or spring two. It'll probably have a couple more like starter springs and it's like stop, start, stop, start. So it is cold out there, but we are really glad that you're with us um, this morning. We are starting a new series today, uh, just going to be a three-week series, and we're calling this How People Change. And I love the graphic. Vicki Bumgarner does our graphics. Once again, incredible graphic um, to go with this short series. And the reason why we're doing this is it, this is a question that, as, especially as followers of Jesus, we should be asking this uh, every so often, right? Like, how, how, how do we change? Are we changing? Are we growing to look more like Jesus? And so every once in a while, like in our kind of sermon preaching schedule, this is kind of a topic that we want to kind of press in on to remind us that, to continue to press forward to change. And we're looking at these three weeks as in kind of th- through different environments. Today it's going to be more about us as individuals. Next week we're going to look at how this gathering space changes us. Not the physical space, but what we do on a Sunday morning and why we do it. We're going to get into why we structure services the way we do, why we do liturgy the way we do, why we preach the how we do it, right? That's what we're going to talk about next week. And then the third week we're going to talk about why GCs or gospel communities are small groups, how that plays into changing us. And that's kind of, kind of how we kind of work through the topic of how we change through those different environments. We're not done with John. Um, we're going to pick back up in John 18, and we're going to kind of um, coincide with the church calendar. So we're going to go back into John when Jesus is arrested, his trial, his death, and ramp up to Easter as the church calendar ramps up to Easter as well. So we're not done with John. We're going to do a few little series here, here between um, now and, and, and I believe it's late February or March And then we'll jump back into John. So let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into today's topic. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this gathering space, the people in this space. We thank you for the encouragement that we get through um, reading your word, singing songs that contain truth, hearing each other sing songs. Um, Today I pray that those who need to be comforted would be comforted by your word by everything we do um, in this service. And I pray that those who need to be challenged, I pray that you would challenge those through your spirit that need to be challenged during this time. Above everything else, I pray that your son would be honored above everything else. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Um, Right now in the Hager household, the show Bluey is a pretty big hit, right? So if you're a parent, yeah, yeah. Deserve some shout-outs. If you don't have kids yet, uh, more than likely you have not heard of Bluey, but it's a great show. We love it in the Hager household. We have a seven-year-old and a three-year-old, both boys. They love this show. And I really like the show, too. It's probably the, the, my favorite show that they've ever kind of been into to watch, right? It's not, um, there's not very many annoying things about Bluey, whereas everything else, you can make a pretty long list about these kind of shows, right? Um, but Bluey, the... the the reason why I bring this up is because I love the show because as a dad, they really, whoever writes the show is really smart in bringing in kind of the, 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 the dynamic between kids and parents, right? 
It's this um, Australian-made show, dogs are the characters, they're talking dogs, of course, because you got to understand what they're saying, right? Um, and um, it's, a, it's a family of blue healers, and they talk with these Australian accents, it's awesome. And really the show is about these two kids, these two dog kids, I'm going to use kids, you know I'm talking about dogs from this point forward. <laughs> two kids, um, and they, they play games of imagination, really, that's what it's about. They play, they have fun, a lot of it's built around imagination, and they're always bringing their parents into it. Like, really, like, kick, kind of kicking and screaming into it a little bit. Like, as parents, we know it's like, hey, come on and play this with us. And, you know, in that situation, I'd probably be given kind of a little bit of an eye roll, like, oh, okay, this doesn't seem fun for me. But the, kid, the, the, the parents are really good about just jumping in and being a part of the, the game or whatever, the make-believe world they're playing. Well, the first episode I ever watched, ever watched, um, it's, it's called, like, Takeout, I believe. And the, the, the mom and dad are talking. They're like, what should we do to dinner tonight? Let's do Chinese. And so she's like, let's just order it. Like, they, I think they can, they can deliver. And, of course, the dad's like, no, we're not going to have people deliver. You know, it's, you know, it's more money. I'm just going to go. We'll take the kids. It'll be a good time, right? Probably the same thing I would have said. Let's just take them. And so the dad takes the two kids to this takeout. They're sitting out kind of outside in, this, in, in these tables, and they're waiting for their food. And things just start to come undone, right? Because these kids don't have anything to do. There's no toys. There's nothing to play with. So they, they, turn, on the, they turn on the water faucet, and, 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 the, and there's water going everywhere. And while he goes over to turn off the water faucet, kind of because everything's flooding, one of them starts peeing in the bushes. And then he goes over to deal with that. And then the table gets tumped over, and all the menus are now getting soaked in the water. And all this because they're just waiting for some Chinese takeout. And... You can almost feel that the dad, and if I put myself in this, I've already lost it, right? I'm already exploding. I'm already snapping. But you can see that the dad is, is, is ramping up, and then he just all of a sudden switches, and he kind of realizes these are kids. They're having fun. I might as well make the most of it and jump in with them. So he starts having fun with them and kind of letting this, like, kids are going to be kids. It's not a hill to die on at this point. So he jumps in and has fun. And, and I watched that. And the reason why I should, I watched that, and I'm like, man, I wish I could be that kind of dad. I wish I could be the kind of dad that can enter my kids' worlds when they are inconveniencing whatever's going on around me. I, they're not doing things the way I want them to do in a, in a situation maybe like they were in. And kind of let that go and say, you know, this is a moment to make a memory. And they jumps in and plays with them. And and this is a good kind of wanting to change, right? I want to change in that moment to be a better father for my boys. And there's messages that all around us, we don't go throughout a day without messages being geared towards us. This is what advertisement's all about, right? Giving us a message, wanting us to change. And usually advertisements are wanting us to change probably in ways that we, we, we probably shouldn't change, right? Breeds comparison and covetousness and wanting, and wanting things that other people have that we don't happen to have. And we see that on social media, right? Those platforms with ads and algorithms and just showing you things to make you want more of something that's probably not going to actually give you freedom and joy and all those other things. Not everything is like this show, Bluey, where I do think there's some good things about me trying to be a better dad by watching Bluey. I think there's some redeeming qualities there. But the point is, is that we're all hardwired, I think, to want to change. There's this part of us that we want to change as human beings. We're made in the image of God, and we want to, over time, look more like the one who's made us. And that person we see most often, we see God in, is Jesus, right? So we're, we're being conformed to the image of Jesus, 
But this isn't just for believers. So if you're, a, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, I think there's this sense that you want to change as well. You just look at the, the New Year's resolution industry, right? This is all built on you, you, um, you think of what you should be and you realize you're not there, so you make a plan to figure out how to change to get to where you think you ought to be. And there's this disconnect between the person that you are and the person you want to be. And I think that's a natural human instinct. Now, the problem is where you go searching for those things. Because I'm, in, in my opinion, the Bible would say, without, without Jesus, that's just going to be a treadmill that you're never going to get to your destination. It's never going to be enough. You're never going to arrive. You may lose weight or make a little bit more, more money or save a little bit more money or get a better job, whatever, and there's going to be another thing that you feel like you need to do to make yourself feel fulfilled. I think that's, that's the problem with wanting to change without Jesus and the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, for believers, we should want to progressively look more like Jesus. This is what the theologians call sanctification. And the scriptures are clear that the battle happens in us changing as followers of Jesus between the spirit and the flesh, Right? We have parts of us, our minds, our hearts, our bodies, all of it is kind of a mix of being controlled by the Spirit and the flesh after we become Christians, right? Our minds right, are being influenced by the Spirit. They're being changed by the Spirit, hopefully, but there's still parts of the flesh that affect our minds. Same thing with our desires, our hearts, our wills, how we live. All of those things, it's this mixture between the Spirit and the flesh, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18, Paul gets at this well in this particular letter. He says, now the Lord is the spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the spirit is, there is freedom. And we all, with an unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. There's that, that's that's the, the biblical word for change, right? Transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, Paul's going to go on in his other letters. This is a theme in Paul's writings. In, in these, these passages we're about to read, they're all from different letters. But Paul's, in a sense, saying the same thing. Romans 7, 22 through 23. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Galatians 5, 16 through 17. But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. There you see that play, flesh and Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Ephesians 4, 23-24, a different letter. To put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life. Old self's another word for the flesh. And is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the Spirit... There's, of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So to put it simply, our, our goal as followers of Jesus is we want the spirit inside of us to have a greater forming influence over all of us than the flesh. We want to move towards the spirit having more control and influence over us, and we want this flesh to have less control over us as time goes on. Now, this side of heaven, um, when we die or Jesus returns, we will never have 100% the spirit and 0% the flesh. That will not happen. But the, grow, the, the goal of 
progressing in our sanctification is more of the control by the Spirit and less control by the flesh. But this requires effort and intentionality. Christ's effort and intentionality and even some discipline. Listen to Jesus' teaching here in Matthew 7. I think he gives us kind of the, the urgency that we should have with this. The teaching Jesus gives, he says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine, and for us this is the scriptures, right? The words of Jesus, hears these words of mine and does them, so hearing and doing will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine, so hears the scripture, reads the word, hears the gospel, and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now, the things I want you to see in this passage are the, the diligence and the intentionality that Jesus lays out that we are to have towards our change, towards, our, towards, towards uh, our, this grace-driven effort that we should have towards wanting to look more like Jesus. And Jesus is also saying in this passage that when life gets the hardest, when our circumstances aren't ideal, when, when we wish things in our lives were different, that's when the foundation is most revealed. The storms of life, the rains, the winds, the floods, we get battered with life's things all the time, and that's going to reveal where our foundation is. It's going to reveal how much we're controlled by the Spirit and how much we're controlled by the flesh. Our maturity is truly seen in those moments. So that's the urgency. That's the intentionality we should have. Now let's jump into our main text today, which is going to be Colossians, written by the Apostle Paul. And Paul has this rhythm in his letters that he'll start off his epistles, and this is the majority of them. He'll start off by giving um, kind of teaching on theology, right? Who God is, who his character is, who Jesus is, who the Spirit is. Talking about kind of the, the more abstract ideas of our faith. And then he begins to, to, to hone in on um, the, the, the practical. Well, how does life look in light of those theological ideas? And the second half of his letters are usually practical. A lot of commands, a lot of verbs, a lot of this is what you should do now. And it even gets more specific into how does this affect us as the church. That's kind of the flow of many of Paul's epistles. And in this passage in particular, Paul gives us, I think, this clear pathway to answer the question, how do we change? What's the process that we can kind of hang on to that's going to give us the best chance to look more like Jesus as time goes on? Okay, and there's five things I want to look at in this passage. I'm just going to walk through this passage and highlight five things. The first thing is our change should be rooted in a heart that's been changed by the gospel. This gospel foundation, this gospel identity, we have to remember who we are because of what Jesus has done. This is why remembering your identity in Christ is so important when we talk about change. Look at Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now, I want to look at these four verses in kind of two different lenses. First, I want to look through it from like this, this indicative lens, and to use a grammatical term, right? Basically, um, statements that speak to who we are because of what Jesus has done, Okay. So this, these are things like we have to remember. Look at ver, uh, the statement in verse 1, right there at the beginning. Um, if, if then, 
So based off of everything he said before in the previous two chapters, right? He's talked about who we are in Christ and this, this, this theology. And now he says, if then, so if, that thing, if that's true and you've been raised with Christ, so we, we're united to him in his resurrection, massive idea. The fact that Jesus is still alive and we're made alive in him through the gospel, through the spirit. So we're alive like Jesus is alive. Okay, so that's the one, one indicative statement. And then the next one is down in verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This idea of being hidden, covered. Like when God sees us, when he looks at us, he doesn't see us anymore. He sees Jesus. He sees Christ's righteousness, right? That's what we have. We have the righteousness of Christ. It's been given to us. So when he sees us, he sees Jesus. So he says, we've been raised with him, and you've, you've, you're, you've died with him, and your life is hidden with him. And then we have another one in verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, so when he comes back, when he returns, then you will also will appear with him in glory. You'll be glorified. So once again, when we die, or when Jesus returns, when we're in heaven, the scripture's called the new heavens and the new earth, then we will be glorified like Jesus. Why? Because he has been glorified. So when he appears in glory, because we're united to him, we'll also appear with him in glory. These are massive theological identity statements. Our death, our life, our resurrection one day, our glorification one day. There's a lot packed into these verses. But Paul also has a couple of imperatives in these four verses. Look at the second half of verse 1. Seek the things that are above. If they've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Verb, right? Imperative, command. Seek it. Pursue it. Look out for it. Go after it. Go after what? The things that are above, the things of God, the things of Christ, right? And the next one in verse 2, you have seek and now you have set. Set your minds on the things above. Focus on those things. Meditate on those things. Fill your head with those things more than you fill your head with other things, right? It's how we set our minds on those things. So Paul here is starting to make this turn in this letter from the indicative, chapters 1 through the first part of Chapter 3 here, and then he's going to make the turn to um, imperative and really show us how to live this out. Now, it's so important that our change is rooted in the gospel because if it's not, it's going to be rooted in something else. Moralism, just our sheer effort, things that don't save us, right? And this it often comes into who we want to impress or who we want the approval of. We can say live this kind of moralistic life in the Bible Belt. We're going to be on the outside, people that don't do this, and we're going to do this, or we're not going to go to this place, or we're going to go to, not, we're going to, go to this place because we want to be approved of and kind of thought highly of by kind of the Christian culture that we're in. So this is a danger for us in Oklahoma. But that is short-lived. Any, uh, any motivation for change that's not rooted in the gospel is going to be at best short-lived. And it's, there's, it's not going to produce joy it's going to be a grind, and you're probably not going to get the change that you want long term, right? This is, this is why going back to our gospel identity and rooting this in our faith and his grace is so important before we move on to practically what this looks like. So number two, let's go to the second thing. Change requires self-awareness. Now look at verse five, just verse five here. He says, put to death. We'll get to that phrase here in a second. Put to death, therefore... What is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, don't get caught up in the specifics of this list. We're not going to go kind of phrase by phrase through this. Um, what we need to see is the broader picture here. And basically, Paul is saying, 
put to death or be putting to death anything that is earthly in you. Well, how do we know what's earthly in us? We have to have some self-awareness. We have to understand who we are. We have to understand uh, answers to questions like, what keeps me from experiencing fullness of joy in Jesus? What, it, what keeps me from experiencing freedom in Christ? What, exper- what, what keeps me from experiencing God's grace in a deeper way? And this is really the first step in what we would call biblical repentance, right? Being aware of your sin. Romans 12, 3. Listen to what Paul says here in another letter. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you in the church there in Rome, you, not, you ought not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So Paul is saying to the church in Rome, think of yourself with sober judgment. Do some reflection. Be aware of your shortcomings. Not all day long, right? We don't want to navel gaze all day long, but you need to be aware of where we fall short. And this is where you have to dig deep. You have to, you have to sit, spend some time in silence. You can't distract yourself with entertainment or external stimuli when you start kind of going down there, that, down that deep, because it's, it's, it doesn't feel good right, to, 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 to know where your shortcomings are. But we have to go there to understand and truly change who we are. This is knowing your weak spots, knowing where you're weak, knowing where Satan wants to attack you, knowing your idols, using some kind of tool like Keller's heart idols that he kind of popularized where he says comfort, control, power, and approval are kind of the four core heart idols. And all of our sin can be traced back to one of those four things, which allows us to take the gospel and apply it to approval or control or power. It just makes it a little bit easier to to apply the gospel to our sin. Ask people who know you well, what are your blind spots? It's scary. Ask somebody who knows you, hey, how do you experience me when I come into the room? Right? Am I a compassionate person? Am I a meek person? Am I a humble person? Am I a patient person? Right? How do you experience me when I come into the room? Do work in your family of origin. Right? You know, figure out how you Live today has a lot to do with how you were raised, whether you like it or not, for the good and the bad, right? Go back to those times, your, your caregivers, your mom and dad or your grandparents, whoever had the greatest influence on you when you were being raised. Past wounds, deal with those things. What are your past wounds? What are those things you've buried and you just are scared to go there? One phrase in the counseling world is hurt people hurt people. If you haven't dealt with your wounds, it's going to come out in your relationships, and it's going to hijack those relationships. It's going to make those relationships uh, poor because you haven't dealt with your wounds. So deal with those things. There could be a lot more on this list, but I just wanted to highlight there's some deep work that needs to be done alone, but also in kind of really um, deep kind of uh, trusting community there. Number three, change requires battling or warring against our sin. Let's go back to that first phrase there in verse five, put to death. I mean, basically Paul's saying murder your sin. Murder your sin, that's, that's strong, right? That is strong language Paul is giving. Why? Because he doesn't want sin to destroy us. He doesn't, he doesn't want sin to shortchange us from the life that God calls us to, the, the wholeness, the fullness, the abundance that Jesus is calling us to. He says put to death therefore what is earthly in you. Again, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. There's kind of that language again. Put them away. 
anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Notice that word practices there in verse 9. There, there are practices, there are rhythms, there are habits that are associated with our old way of life or our flesh. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all in all. Okay, and there Paul does this in most of his letters. He has this verse or passage where he just levels the playing field between like Jew and Gentile and circumcised and uncircumcised and poor and rich, right? Like Christ can save anybody from any kind of background, any race, any background, any socioeconomic status. It's a level playing field when it comes to God's grace. And then once again, kind of to echo this idea of warring against our sin in Romans 8, 13, this is the verse that speaks to this the most. And to the church in Rome, he says this, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That's strong language. And obviously he's probably talking more about spiritual death. We'll wither and die if we live according to the flesh. But if by the spirit, there is again the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is another way to saying make war, battle against your sin. So the faith that we have in God's grace, you can see, has, has brought repentance. It brings repentance in us, and now it's being made evident in action. And these, 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 uh, the list of things we're going through. Let's look on to verse 4. Change requires new practices. So we've put to death or put off something. Now Paul's going to tell us to put on something. Verse 12, put on then, as God's chosen ones. Again, that, that identity language there. We're chosen ones of God. We're saved ones of God. Holy and beloved. Put on then compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you, must, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, again, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And we'll stop there for now. We'll pick it up here in a sec. So this put on language, this is, this is kind of an interesting language for um, kind of this spiritual conversation, right? This is clothing language. This is, this is putting on, a, a, imagine putting on a set of clothes. I mean, this is what Paul's wanting to do with this imagery. And this literally means like kind of sinking into new clothes. So it's putting on new clothes, but it's, it's a little bit more permanent than that. Right? It's putting on something that's going to stick around us. And really what this is talking to, talking about are our virtues. Right? When you look at this list of things that Paul lays out, compassion, humility, meekness, right? And so we want to create this lifestyle. Putting on means creating this lifestyle where we practice these virtues over time. And over time, we become these kinds of people. You're not going to become a meek person overnight. It's never going to happen if you are not a meek person, right? These are answering questions like, what kind of person do I want to become one day or in the future? Or am I reacting to life's circumstances? When those storms and winds and waves that Jesus talks about in Matthew 7, when those things come into, come into my life, am I reacting with these virtues of humility, of patience, of compassion, of meekness? And if not, that's a sign that there's work that needs to be done in those areas to, to increase the virtue we have in those areas. This is how we put on the character of Christ. Let's go back to that, 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 that passage then, picking up in verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ, listen to this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. 
So part of the, all of this is letting God's word that's active and dynamic, letting it dwell in us, letting it take residence in, in us. And then after that, it goes into more of, of a community. What, what can we be doing as a teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and with thankfulness in your hearts to God? And we'll touch on more of that next week in our, in our part two of this series. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Okay? So all of this will always start with God's word. Follow these, these practices, these things that we want to do. How do we put on these virtues, right? This is weird. He says, above all, put on love. What, like, like really drilled, like what does that mean? Like is it just, hey, I'm going to go try really, really hard today, be a loving person? No, that's not it. it. Completely it, right? Yeah, you need to put some more effort into that. But you need to create this lifestyle where you have practices and habits and rhythms where God's word is central along with a close second prayer and silence and solitude and practicing Sabbath, practicing generosity, living in community, serving, all of these kind of classic spiritual disciplines. Over time, these things change us. When we practice these things, they give us they, they, they create a virtuous person, which is what Paul's calling the church in, in, in Colossae here to do. It's, it's, it's not less than just a quiet time, but it is way more than just a quiet time. It's not spending an hour in God's word, setting it aside, and just kind of going on about your day. It's how are you going to reorient your whole life, your days, your weeks, your calendar around loving Jesus? Again, we're not monks. This isn't, go, hey, go away and quit your job. No, we... There, there, there's a purpose in God's sovereignty to, to, for, for us to be here and, and whatever you're doing. But why you're doing those things, can we keep Jesus on the front of our minds? Can we do that? And I think we do that by beginning to set up practices in our lives to be able to do that. When, again, this goes back to John 15, abiding. That whole abiding passage, this is it, right? Remaining. Staying, sticking to the vine. It may take months. It may take years. And it does not happen quickly. And in our culture, what we often do is we just say, hey, I'm going I'm to start reading the Bible. Beginning of the year, I'm going to start reading the Bible. I'm going to have this Bible reading plan, and I'm going to hit it all, and I even got little check boxes. And then we fail after two weeks. And we're like, well, whatever. And that's not, that's not the way we, we need to be patient with ourselves. This is a lifetime. We're playing the long game. It may be two steps forward, one step back for a long time because we're practicing. That's why I like the word practices, right? If the professional athletes, they still practice. They're the best in the world, but they know they could be better, so they continue to practice and practice, right? This is why these things are called practices. If you miss a day of Bible reading on your Bible reading plan, it's okay. Pick it up the next day. It's okay. The last thing, change requires the work of the Spirit. I want to go back to that Romans eight thirteen passage because there's something in it I think I want us to, besides putting to death sin, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but again, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So all of this, the, we have to remember the Spirit is working in us, right? It's called sanctification, right? It's, it's kind of this, this concert, this dance between the Spirit and us, our effort and the Holy Spirit working in us to sanctify us. D.A. Carson says this, and I love this quote, kind of sums up what we've been talking about. People do not drift towards holiness, Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, and obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. 
We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. So again, he's drawing attention back to how intentional we need to be with how we live. And we don't do this to be saved. We don't do this to get God to love us more. We don't do this to get more approval from God. That's not why we're doing it. That's why we spent so much time on the indicative. We're hidden. We're hidden with Christ, period. But in light of our hiddenness, in light of our new identity, Paul says it. Let's, let's go. Let's put off and put on. Let's put on new clothing that's going to lead to more freedom and more joy. And I want to remember, again, just a reminder of the gospel. Because you are going to fail. We're all going to fail at this. When we practice things, we all fail. Maybe some of you are just starting out in, in your faith, in your walk. It's okay. Anybody that starts anything for the first time, they fail when they do it. That's why it's called practicing. That's why it's called continuing to get a little, little bit better over time at reading the Bible and praying and these kinds of things. Why? Because we want to we live out the fullness of our faith. We want to receive the fullness of our faith. We want to live in joy and freedom and love and, all the, and, and ha- be the kind of person that Paul lists out in these virtues. And this is so easy. I always go back to my, my boys when I think of this. Like when they hit these benchmarks and, and they're doing things that are different. Like our three-year-old right now, he's, he's hitting a lot of different things. That's what happens when you're that age as a toddler. And like when he like, he, he's, a, <laughs> he's a wild kid. And um, he, he's, he's, uh, he, he, likes, he likes to be loud and big and everything. So when he, when he sits down to, like, build something, it's not always, not, not always goes well with him, right? But recently, he's actually started to build things and not knock them down before he's finished, right? And so we've been able to come in and be like, buddy, this is amazing. Can you believe, hey, Jax, our seven, look at, look at what your brother built. This is awesome. But if any of you all walked into our house just to come over and you saw his eight magnetile square building on the ground, you guys aren't going to be like, who built that? <laughs> who built that thing? I want to know how to... No, you're not going to do that. Because he's not your son, and you haven't seen the process, and you're not hanging on everything he does, saying, that a boy. We don't say, yeah, Tate, that's kind of a square. <laughs> you know, put a, they, they have triangle magnetiles. Can you, like, make some points into that? It's so... It's just, it's very modern looking and kind of boring, right? No, we don't do that. We say, yes, buddy, because we, we want to see the growth. We want to see him to be able to build things and explore and, and use it as imagination that way. God sees his sons and daughters the same way, with Bible reading, with prayer, with giving, with putting to death sin, right? He cheers. He's, he wants you to experience his love and his grace, and he wants you to grow. We want Tate to grow in that area, that skill, so we give him a lot of encouragement, and we get in there and help him a little bit. We don't shame him when he messes up, when he does something that a three-year-old is trying, right? We don't do that. The Father loves us. So I want to review. We've, I've been working application into all this, hopefully you can see, but I want to put kind of the five steps again so you can kind of see these, you can remember these. Again, change is rooted in a heart that's been changed by the gospel. We can't forget that. Second one, know yourself. Right? We've got to know ourselves. It requires self-awareness. We put off the old. We, we, it's kind of that first step in repentance, right? We, we, we recognize where we've fallen short, those habits that it's probably not a one-time thing, right? How, how, did, how did you get into that? What led to that specific act or thing that maybe is brought to mind? 
putting off the old and then putting on the new, right? That, that change requires new practices, new ways of living, new ways of organizing your day and your week and your schedule. And lastly, it's all done by the work of the Spirit. It's the greatest tool that Jesus has given us in the gospel, right? It's part of the gospel that he goes back to the Father, he leaves the Spirit here, and the Spirit's just going to do everything that God and Jesus tell him to do. And one of the things is look more like Jesus. So we have the Spirit working in us, which is really good news. We don't send you out today with this application alone. The third person of the Trinity, God himself, the Spirit, is inside of you that's wanting to move you and encourage you to this end. And so let's be a people who, who pursue change passionately, but it's rooted in grace. It's rooted in faith. It's rooted in the gospel, and that's good news. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for your word. I love passages like this that you've put in here that when Paul is writing to a group of people like us, like a church, a church in a city, in a location, and he gives the gospel and he get, makes it clear, but then he also exhorts and encourages and challenges and comforts people to live the way that's going to bring glory to God. This challenges us to live in such a way that we will receive joy, that we will have hope, that we will have peace. We will be the kind of people who live like, like Sermon on the Mount people that show humility and meekness and and quiet, confident strength in those types of virtues, Lord. We thank you for your word. And I pray your spirit, like we looked at, that would, would empower us and help us as we leave this place. Would help us as we go from here and be the kind of people you call us to be. Not for our own approval or benefit or pride, but for your glory, period. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.